Hi, welcome to Food with Mark Bittman. Thank you for joining us. Really glad you're here today. As always, you can reach out to us at food at markbittman.com. Questions, comments, answers, suggestions, love, hate, whatever you want. We will take it seriously and get back to you. Also, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, give it stars, give it love, etc. Tell your friends and consider subscribing to our thrice weekly newsletter, The Bitman Project, at bitmanproject.com, or find everything related to me and our team at markbitman.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Today, Kate and I are happy to welcome Vishwesh Bhatt to the show. Vish's book is called I Am From Here, and it didn't take much beyond the title to grab me on this. And, and as soon as you start reading about Vish's story and talking with him, you'll see why. Vish grew up in India in Gujarat and moved to the States around 30 years ago when he was 18 and has spent most of his time here in Oxford, Mississippi since then. At college in Kentucky, he studied political science, but he taught himself to cook when he realized that he could just not eat dining hall food. How many times have we heard that story? He knew a little bit about cooking from his mother, but taught himself mostly by cooking for friends. You can see why I felt like this was a kindred spirit. In grad school, Vish met John Kearns, who's a celebrated Southern chef and a restaurateur who is now, who Vish now considers his mentor and is also his boss at Snack Bar, where Bot cooks using traditional Southern ingredients, but often paired or teamed with the flavors and techniques of India. Think dal hush puppies and collard green sag. Currents has said, quite famously, that Vish's stock reply when he used to suggest that Vish open an Indian restaurant was, I don't want to be the cliche Indian guy in a small Southern town hawking curry and tikka masala. Indeed, it's really wonderful. It's a gas to listen to Vish talk about traditions and authenticity. That's a lot of what this conversation is about, and his take is refreshing and just a bit sentimental, just sentimental enough. His mind is open. His cooking is wonderful. I Am From Here is a great book, and we're really glad to have had this conversation with him, and I'm quite sure you'll enjoy it. 
Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys, for having me on. Big fans of your work. So, thank you. Well, I just then I was taken by the book immediately. I'd heard of you, but we just both really loved the book and wanted to have the opportunity to talk about some of the interesting questions that it raises. So, I have to say this one thing, which is part of the reason we wanted to talk. I want to hear what you have to say about this, but. You know, 20, 30 years ago, there was this thing called fusion cuisine, which really was right. simply an acknowledgement that people cook differently when they're hanging out with other people. So exactly, um, yes. If, if you're from X and you go live in Y or you hang out with people from Y, your cooking changes and your palate changes. Absolutely. And, yes. and this predates everything. It predates colonialism. It predates the Greeks. But then somehow yes. fusion became like a dirty word because we were we wanted true authenticity. So if you wanted to cook alu paratha, God forbid you put miso into those potatoes. Or, you know, we can <laughs> think like, of a million examples <laughs> like that. Right, right. The thing that fascinated me about I Am From Here, and the title itself is so great, but you're saying, leave me alone. Yeah, I'm from in India. But my food is my food. Yes. So I don't know. Talk about that a little bit. Sure. So let's, I mean, let's talk about fusion for a while. And I think what happened is initially when, when you know, folks like Alan Susser and Norman Van Aken and, and others were doing, you oh, know, yeah, what we call guys. fusion food. <laughs> right? Yeah. We, they knew what they were doing, right? They, they understood the food of other places. And, and it was incorporated into what they did. And then somehow, you know, in the mid-90s, everybody decided that they could do this and then, and then started doing things that didn't make any sense, right? I mean, just because you put, you know, a soy sauce reduction or something uh, next to, you know, some fried shrimp does not make that a good dish. It just, you know, you, you've got to think it through and, and understand the flavors and understand the cultures. And that kind of went away. Which is probably why fusion got a bad name and it sort of just became a dirty word. Uh, but as far as you know, my cooking, I mean, I I, I learned how to cook. Uh, yes, I learned how to cook some basic things at my mother's side, but uh, I became a professional cook and, and became a chef, if you will, in Mississippi. I didn't you know, I didn't know anything about you know commercial cooking. I didn't know anything about how kitchens work. I you know until I started working in the restaurants in the South. So I think of myself uh, as a Southern chef. I learned here. I learned, you know, from from folks like, you know, John Currens and Ben Barker and, you know, Frank Stitt and, you know, long line of folks uh, who, who are, you know, Southern Southern chefs and, and, and Southern icons. But I still haven't, you know, forgotten the flavors that I grew up with. I mean, I enjoy those flavors and I think those flavors at times enhance foods that I cook. And so I, I am not, a, you know, afraid to use them. And the reception for the most part has been pretty good. Uh, and it's not, it's, I mean, it's not that I'm trying to change uh, the way people eat or what they like. It's just, this is my expression of and what I like things to taste like. You grew up in India and you moved to the States when you were 18. So you've been here for most of your life mm -hmm. and you've been in Oxford, Mississippi for 20 years. Is that right? Almost 30. Almost 30. Almost 30. Yeah. And you rightfully consider yourself a Southern chef. Yeah. But it sounds to me, what I thought was interesting was that 
you got there and you seemed pretty resistant to cooking Indian food. So you started out with Southern ingredients, but then it sort of sounds like your memories of your mom sort of coerced you into starting to use Indian ingredients in those traditional Southern dishes, right? Traditional. I'm using air quotes here. Yeah, sure. Can you tell us a little bit about the evolution? Sure. I'll I'll try. I've, I've tried to answer this a couple of times before, and I'm not sure I do a very good job of it. So, I don't cook Indian food because I don't know how to. Right? I mean, I, <laughs> I what? That. Yeah, what I know about uh, Indian food is is of you know two or three or maybe maybe five or six dishes that I learned from my mother uh, that I can make, and they're pretty good. But you know that represents a very small niche, uh, some niche items that I grew up with in my family the way we cook them. Right. So that's what I know. So that's my. Uh, repertoire of of Indian food. So when I have to cook other Indian dishes, I, I consult recipe books because it's you know if I need to make a, a, a Kashmiri sag, then I need to learn it you know from somebody who is Kashmiri because I didn't grow up eating it, for example, or you know tandoori chicken. It's not something that was ever served in our house, so I had to learn it just like I had to learn other dishes. So they were just as you know those dishes were just as foreign to me as as uh, chicken fried steak, if you will. So you know, I, I learned those dishes and I, I certainly can't cook them just like I cook anything else. But that is not what I learned how to cook. And when I started working in restaurants, those were not the dishes that were being cooked. So, I, you know, at City Grocery, we were, uh, you know, a southern sort of a New Orleans leaning Creole bistro. So those are the flavors and dishes that I started learning to cook. And as time went on, because John Currents enjoyed other flavors, and because I could, you know, I, I knew about spices and how to use them, he was okay with me, you know, when I would say, like, hey, I like these mashed potatoes. What do you think if I add some toasted cumin and black pepper to it? I'm like, yeah, sure, go for it. So simple things like that, uh, because those are flavors that I remembered and the flavors that I enjoyed uh, with certain dishes, I would, I would use them. And then we would have a discussion about okay, well, this works. And, you know, what do you think this would work with? Because clearly now that you've changed the potato, it's not going to work with the setup that we had in mind. So now mm-hmm. now think about what you want to do with the chicken now, because we were going to serve these potatoes with the chicken, for example. And, and, and so then I would have to think about, okay, well, what flavors can I incorporate? And so then I would go and say, all right, maybe some ginger. I think that would work. Maybe, you know, what if I did some, you know, little toasted cardamom and sort of, you know, rub the chicken. And and that's how I started. And as I started, of course, you know, those flavors were familiar. As I, as I started eating more and traveling more and, and, and wanting to learn more, I started reading more about, you know, other Indian foods besides, you know, the, the things that I knew. Again, remember, I grew up vegetarian. So anything had, that had to do with meat or fish, I had to learn. I, w- I was learning as I was going along uh, and I was learning how to cook some Indian dishes as well. You know, we're we're talking as if a little bit as if India had a unified cuisine, which of course, I mean, it doesn't. There are things that right. each region has in common with others. Mm-hmm. But you're from Gujarat, which is a pretty particular place. I wonder how many of those of those flavors of your childhood have you're carrying down, and what those might be, and how you're using them now, if at all. I am using them now, and 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 it's usually they they show up more and more in the summertime when we have a lot of produce 
because it's it's fun. You know, it's it's a lot easier to to you know season okra with uh, with with fenugreek and or or you know use uh, asafoetida when I'm when I'm cooking uh, field peas because those are things that I I knew and I know that work. Those flavors go together and mm-hmm. and it helps and enhances the flavors. Uh, so I do that quite a bit now, but I usually do it more with produce, more with vegetables and and, and beans uh, than I do with meats. It's also interesting that the South is the, if there's a region of the United States that's maintained the tradition of cooking legumes, it's the South. Mm-hmm. And that that is obviously a link to, I mean, legumes remain important in the South. They're not that important in the rest of the United States, but obviously legumes are the main source right. of protein, the primary source of protein for most people who live in India. For Yeah, for many. Yeah, absolutely. Now I've been doing this for a while, so it's it's not so new to folks in Oxford uh, because, you know, I grew, I grew up with them and they've grown up with my cooking. So it's uh, <laughs> it's been sort of a, one of those mutual, uh, you know, symbiotic relationships. And it's we're a very small town. So when I cook something that they really like, they will tell me. And if uh, I cook something they don't like, they'll, uh, you know, if they see me at the at the grocery store or, you know, out on the town square, they're not afraid to stop and. <laughs> and, and make a comment or two so right I, I read this profile of you it was in um, a local palette magazine which i guess is a southern magazine and there was a story about ale that you had cooked and a woman came up to you afterwards and said that she had enjoyed the indian cooking and she said it was strange but good and that frustrated you uh and you, you told her that the food you made wasn't indian food and you used the example of chefs with Scottish heritage who aren't asked constantly to talk about haggis. So why can't you just cook what you want to cook and leave it at that? And you said to call your food strange is to say that in some way it doesn't belong, that it's not a part of the South. And this is why I think both Mark and I just love the title of your book so much. I'm just always so curious as to what it is, why people want to label everything. Mm -hmm. It's like people aren't comfortable unless they have a label on something. And you'd think, you know, we were talking about fusion which was years ago, you'd think that we would be more comfortable with not everything fitting so neatly into a little box and just being more open to what we call Southern food or whatever. What are some of the things that you've learned from this sort of mindset? I mean, and, and it's, you know, look, we're all guilty of it, right? Because we, we all want to hang on to things we are familiar with mm-hmm. and things we like uh, and the things we hold dear. Uh, sure. and, and so change is, is hard and change is uh, scary. And, you know, you, you feel like you're losing touch with whatever it is, you know, whether it's, it's uh, you know, you want down here, people like to use the word heritage a lot, all in the wrong context. But, you know, uh, <laughs> so there's that that fear for sure. But it, it never makes sense to me when it applies to food, right? Because food is not stagnant or stationary. It has never been, right? It, it, it changes and evolves and people influence it in in every day right i mean the southern food as we know it you know even if you think of you know your your air quotes of traditional southern food it has been influenced by so many people and it it has changed and evolved over the years we don't cook like we used to cook in the 1700s we don't eat what we used to eat in the 1700s there's a reason for that right it's a this is a constant evolution and change of how we eat and what because the world is is smaller we're more connected and what we tend to forget is the South was 
way more connected with the rest of the world than, than say, the Midwest or California for a long time, and still is, because that is where a lot of ports are. That's where the warm water ports are. That's where uh, many immigrants have come and settled, et cetera, et cetera. So it's always been sort of this dynamic place. But within that, that dynamic place, we have all sort of, for some reason, found our, our little uh comfort zones and then anything different from those comfort zones is, is seen as as outside or, or threatening and that's a conversation that we need to have and maybe food is one way to address and address it and say hey look think about you know a place like mississippi which we we think of as not being very diverse uh and you can go to a small town in the mississippi delta and have a sunday church supper where where they would serve fried chicken spaghetti and kibbe at the same church supper, right? Without and tamales, without people really understanding that these things all came from different people. So that's you know, and that's that's uh, you know, that's conversation. I think that that needs to happen. It's like, yes, we have you know, just because we like something else or we we take something else or somebody else brings in other influences doesn't necessarily mean we're giving away or losing what we have. It's just, we're just adding, and there's just a, you know, think of this as a quilt that's just, somebody's adding another patch to. I love I that. I love that. That's <laughs> really nice. We'll be back in a minute with more from Vishbot, Kate, and me. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. When we travel, or let's say when I travel, one of the things that I look for often is authenticity again air quotes but you know sure. you go here because you expect to have the best something or other and that's what they've always cooked but i was in italy in um in the fall last fall and i was there for in the same i was in liguria and i was in liguria for two weeks i think and i looked came home and i said well the great thing is that in every town Every menu is exactly the same. And the terrible thing is that in every town, every menu is exactly the same. Because we, in the States, where we are, we, we wiped out whatever indigenous culture there was and are still in the process of building a cuisine, if there ever will be one. Or as you say, it's just an amalgam, a quilt, a, a matrix of 50, 100, 1,000 different cuisines from around the world. And you can go to a place where people's foods have nothing in common with one another that doesn't happen in the old world or whatever we want no. to call it quite so much sure and yeah. it's part of what makes the states i won't say unique but interesting absolutely and it's and fun fun to cook in fun to travel fun you know to learn are there particularly fun slash interesting things about the south do you think are you happy you wound up there uh yes i'm, I'm happy i wound up here because 
and again, I mean, you know, I've said this this before. I, you know, we have our social burdens in India, and 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 you know, uh, with, with our you know caste and and religious differences that we don't really know how to deal with very well, and haven't. Uh, so to come here and and see some very similar dynamics playing out, it's like okay, well, this is not a uniquely uh, indian phenomenon that you know places and other places uh, have the same same problems for for me it's been a, a place where i have been forced to look at how i treat people or how i treated people and and learn from it also a place that has a lot of fun things happening that don't you know don't get talked about and get lost in in this discussion of, of politics and, and, and social injustice. So maybe you know, the idea being, you know, if, if we talk the positive things, maybe we use those positives to influence change. Is that a conversation we need to have as, you know, as, as Southerners, uh, instead of becoming immediately sort of defensive about, oh, you know, you did, this is how you are going to see us, therefore we're going to close ourselves off. And, and so, I you know, I mean, maybe maybe we, you know, start this discussion about all the good things and say, Hey, these are some great, wonderful things. These other things are not so much. How can we address these deep rooted issues and, and, and make changes that sort of involves more than a few people. Since snack bar opened, what are some of the positive changes that you've seen? Have there been obvious things that feel different because of the way that you're cooking? I mean, you know, that's a, uh, that, that's a tough question. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I know that we've been around since 2009 and I'm still here and folks still want to talk to me about what I do. So, you know, clearly something is happening that's worth people noticing. And it it, it does, you know, at least turn some attention to you know, to a place like Oxford, Mississippi. And, and then you can say, you know, and then if people are listening to this, they can say, hey, there's a guy who moved here from India that runs a southern restaurant in Mississippi, but he doesn't cook what one would consider traditional southern food, and yet this restaurant is successful. And I, I think that's a good thing, right? I mean, it's it's now I'm not sure if I wasn't in Oxford that would have happened, but I, I you know I would like to think that it would. And I'm not the only one. I mean, you know, it's there are lots of people in lots of places doing these things, whether they're you know cooking or or doing art or writing or, you know, just working in an office. There are people that are different that are making an impact. And, and I think that's a, that's a good start. Right. It's interesting that you characterize yourself as a guy living in an Indian guy living in, or a guy from India living in Oxford, not cooking Southern food when equally surprising is that you're a guy from India living in Oxford, not cooking Indian food. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Your mentor, John Currents, has said that your stock reply when he suggested, he used to suggest that you open an Indian restaurant was, I don't ever want to be the cliche Indian guy in a small southern town hawking curry and tikka masala. So I guess I'm curious <laughs> as to why you didn't want to cook Indian food and what it was about food in the South. Food, no, 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 I mean, let's, let's, you know, there, there are two, two reasons. One, because I didn't really know how to do it, right? So I didn't want to <laughs> become that food. guy that, right. That's, that's all I did, right? It's like it's good oh, reason. you you therefore you should do that. You know, you are you you are a certain way, therefore, you know, it's just like it's it's essentially, you know, 
asking an Irish guy that moves to the South to open a pub. And, you know, it's like, you can't do anything else. You got to do this. So that, that's that aspect of it. The other aspect was, is, you know, I don't really know a whole lot about that food other than eating it. And then also the idea that I want to cook what I like to cook. And what, what, I, what I like to cook is, is, is things that are, are interesting to me. And, and, you know, some of that happens to be sort of, uh, you know, French influenced and some of that happens to be uh, Middle Eastern and some of that happens to be, you know, uh, Vietnamese or a lot of it also happens to be uh, Indian. But I mean, all of that to me is, is more interesting than, than sticking with one style, but also, what I've you know found from the very beginning and why I really enjoy doing what I do is 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 seeing the connections that you know all these things that we're using uh whether you know it, it's in uh food in the south or food in in india or or food in you know in, in Europe a lot of ingredients are relatively recent right I mean they you you think about you know a, a place like India where potatoes just showed up five hundred years ago. And now they're everywhere or chilies, you know, tomatoes, showed up 400 years yeah. ago and now they're everywhere, you know, uh, tomatoes uh, in, in Italy. And, you know, they didn't show up until probably what, 1500. So, and these are, these are things that we think about, you know, think about sugar in, in, in the Americas. I mean, it's a, it's a relatively new thing, but it's now used everywhere. So there are a lot of connections that I'd rather talk about those and how, how, those things are, are more fun and how we've always sort of interacted with each other uh, then sort of just do what uh, you know people think should come naturally in the introduction to I am from here you write that cooking is how I learn about other cultures other than my own it's how I make mm -hmm. sense of the world and my place in it so what would you say the most important lesson is that cooking has taught you couple one one is is patience uh, and that's, you know, I mean, that's always a, a good thing to have uh, because you have to, you know, uh, the other thing is is to to get out of my comfort zone. Right. I mean, uh, it's very easy when, when you're cooking something and when you when you sort of get comfortable with uh, three or four things that people like that you keep doing those. And I, you know, I, I've always felt that I don't want to fall into, and then maybe, you know, I, I say, I don't want to, but you know, as I say, I'm saying it, I can realize that I have, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the thing is I, I want to be, I want to be challenged. I want to learn new things, learn about, you know, why people use certain things and not other things or how, how X, Y, and Z ended up say in, you know, in a place like Zanzibar and from there to Yemen and from there to all of a sudden, you know, you, you've got, uh, a market in Nashville, Tennessee. I mean, I, those are the connections that I really enjoy exploring. And sometimes while you're doing that and reading about stuff and, and learning about stuff, you also learn all the uncomfortable stories that uh, went along with it. And so, you know, to to have a little introspection about not taking things for granted to maybe maybe pay a little attention to how things travel and how, you know, there are stories of people behind the ingredients that we're using and, and how do you, uh, yeah. Uh, many stories are, are really good and many are not so good. And how do you balance that? And how do you talk about that? So that's it. You know. Okay. Last question. We ask everybody this. What did you have for dinner last night? Last night, uh, I had, it was, a, it was a friend's mother's birthday. She turned 80 and she really likes fish. So we had some uh, 
pan-seared triggerfish, and then I did sort of a, a take on a barigul with, uh, of course, fennel and cauliflower and olives. And uh, so she's a, she, her family uh, are from Mississippi Delta, uh, second generation, third generation uh, Sicilian immigrants. So I tried to sort of do a Mediterranean-ish take on, uh, on, on, this, on this fish uh, and then birthday cake. Sounds great. Perfectly fusion. Did you make the cake? <laughs> I did not make the cake. That that cake actually, she she loves sort of the 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 grocery store birthday cake. She's you know, uh, and and when an eight year neighbor tells you what she likes, you you uh, provide that for her. I totally understand liking a grocery store bakery cake. <laughs> Just gonna say, I wonder if what I'm looking for, because often when we get together, I'm like, I want you know, in a festive thing, I'm like, I want a piece of cake and. And I keep looking for the ideal coconut cake and and so on. And now I wonder if what I'm really looking for is a nice garbagey piece of supermarket birthday cake. Yeah, I mean, it, everything has its place, right? I mean, everything has its place. So maybe, maybe you'd probably be pretty happy. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's really been great talking with you. And um, take care. Thanks, Fish. Bye. Thank you, guys. Bye. So this is Vish's recipe for rice pudding called Mom's Rice Pudding. It is a not atypical, not that atypical Indian rice pudding. I have made these kinds of things many times, and they take a while. They take care. They take patience. They're meditative, and they're so. It's like the the highest. And best use of milk, I think. It's just amazing. Yeah, I'd like to share this with you. So you start with half a cup basmati, jasmine, or any long grain aromatic rice, and you rinse that under cold running water for two minutes, and then you drain it. You will need two tablespoons ghee, which you can find the recipe for or buy. Um, That's basically clarified butter. Eight cups of whole milk. Eight cups is what? A half gallon, I believe. Four green cardamom pods, three-star anise pods, half a cup of sugar, a teaspoon of saffron threads, three tablespoons of golden raisins, two tablespoons of toasted pistachios chopped for garnish, and two tablespoons toasted slivered almonds also for garnish. So gather that stuff. Wash the rice then combine it with uh, the ghee in a small bowl and set it aside. And then in a large, heavy-bottomed, and I emphasize heavy-bottomed pot or Dutch oven, bring the milk to a boil over medium heat, not too hot, and stir it frequently so it doesn't scorch on the bottom. And once it's come to a boil, reduce the heat to low and continue to cook, stirring constantly, really all the time. You just have to take care not to let it scorch. Then add the cardamom and the star anise and continue to stir and cook. The milk will reduce, of course, and once it's reduced by about half, which should be around 20 minutes, stir in the sugar and the rice mixture. Continue to cook over very low heat until the rice is super soft, cooked all the way through, and the sugar is completely dissolved, and the milk takes on a very light caramel color, tan, say. 30 to 40 minutes, again, of pretty much constant stirring. You don't want the rice to stick or the sugar to stick or the milk to scorch. You really have to pay attention to this. It is a labor of love. As I said, you are going to have to enter a 
calm state to do this. So you're looking for like a creamy, smooth consistency. Vish says almost like grits, but but loose pudding. When the rice is cooked and and you've got that sort of beige color that you're looking for, stir in the saffron and then take the pot off the heat, stir in the raisins, and then allow the pudding to cool. If you're going to refrigerate it, allow it to cool completely. If you're going to eat it right away, you can eat it warmer at room temperature or cool. Uh, garnish with the chopped pistachio nuts and the almonds before serving. If you want to store it, you can keep it in an airtight container in the fridge for up to two days. You know I don't specialize in complicated or difficult recipes. This one is neither complicated nor difficult, but it is challenging because you do have to stir. But it's so great. So enjoy that. So thought that was pretty interesting. I hope you did too. I'd like to thank the great Bishwesh Bot for joining us today. And of course, thank you to Kate, my co-host and producer, and to Davis Lloyd, our engineer. If you want more from us, visit bitmanproject.com or markbitman.com. And to see more from Vish, grab his book, I Am From Here. And you can follow him on Instagram, Kiss my bot one Pretty good, huh? Kiss my B-H-A-T-T-1, the numeral. And at Snack Bar Oxford. That's spelled exactly as it sounds. Okay, thank you again for joining us. And we will see you next week when we will have somebody amazing. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>